Welcome to Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the promise of clean energy. This program brings you leading voices in solar and energy storage and sectors impacting renewables, exploring challenges and solutions for industry growth, the true cost of operating and maintaining power plants, and system asset management considerations. My name is Josh Corbett. I welcome you to this episode hosted by Michael Iman, Managing Director of Orgis Services. All right, welcome to Power Players. Today on Power Players, we have a guest from the finance industry, David Vence. David Vence is a partner with Anton Infrastructure Partners based out of New York office, of the New York office. I think you've got offices all over the world, as I recall. Anton is a leading private equity focused on global infrastructure. So think infrastructure fund. They acquired a majority stake in Orgis back in 2021. And since since then, David brings a decade of financial market experience uh, to his work building portfolio company value. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means later, if you don't mind. Uh, you also applied a global education focused on statistics, financial math, and most frequently frequently from Stanford, I believe, out of California. David, welcome to the program. And, and uh, we're really looking forward to having this conversation today. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. So first question first, is it Anton or is it Anton? Well, it used to be Anton, but now that we're uh, more uh, global in nature and have a, a, a large presence in the U.S. and are really a local investor in the North American market, Anton is totally fine. Anton's fine. Got it. So now I won't feel bad if I mispronounce it uh, throughout this segment. So I appreciate you that. Shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Tell us a little bit about Anton and and sort of how you know what is Anton and how do you guys how do you guys approach infrastructure investment? Yeah, sure. So Anton is a private equity fund focused on infrastructure uh, investments. We have about thirty billion euros of uh, assets under management, and we invest across mostly Western Europe and uh, and North America. So our strategy is really to look for investment opportunities that benefit from long term market trends uh, that pass what we call the Anton infrastructure test uh, and that demonstrate a certain degree of complexity and have a really um, identifiable value creation potential. Um, maybe in terms of the Anton infrastructure test, which might sound a little bit uh, cryptic at first, it's really a set of criteria that a business should meet uh, to be considered by us as infrastructure. And so our target companies need to uh, be an essential service to the community, uh, exhibit strong barriers to entry, uh, have some cash flow predictability, and they need to be largely inflation-linked cash flows, and to um, display some robust downside protection uh, and some insulation from the economic cycle. So this is really our um, five-part infra test. Not all renewable companies uh, fit the bill for Anson in order to uh, to meet our investment criteria, look for platforms that have sizable uh, pipelines to to build out some uh, some limited merchant exposure in order to get that uh, cash flow predictability and some downside protection, as I, as I mentioned, as part of the infra test, which can come from either an operating base of assets or from uh, really good. Uh, visibility over the pipeline through signed uh, PPAs or, 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 you know, and secured equipments, uh, et cetera. So what types, so all of that being the case, like what types of investments does Anton have today globally? 
Yeah, sure. So we have um, we invest mostly across four sectors. Energy and environment is is one of them, and and as uh, uh, so we have invested in Origins Energy, uh, obviously in, in in North America. Uh, we also own other uh, another renewable platform uh, in, in Europe. In Europe, uh, we we have been investing in the renewable sector actually since um, our first funds uh, uh, with two investments in in fund one that were uh, in the in, in the space in solar in particular. We also invest in uh, transportation. Uh, we own, for example, a rail business up in Michigan in North America. We invest heavily in telecom. We're one of the first movers in uh, in fiber and uh, uh, looking at fiber as an as part of the infrastructure asset class. We invested in telecom towers uh, through a previous fund as well. Uh, we and we also make investments in what we call social infrastructure, which is uh, mostly healthcare and, and education. So a pretty broad spectrum of um, uh, of uh, of sectors that's and of investment verticals. And I say, but what's even more um, important to us in terms of defining infrastructure is not necessarily the sector angle, but more those fundamental characteristics uh, that I uh, that I described. So potentially we could, you know, uh, see um, uh, different areas beyond those four that I described as being part of infrastructure. For example, we have invested in uh, in the food chain with the uh, uh, life salmon logistics business up in the up in uh, in Norway and Chile, so um, so, and we and we thought that this business really exhibited exhibited really strong uh, infrastructure characteristics. So we take a pretty broad view. Got it. So explain to me a little bit, and and anybody listening, frankly, we're sort of talking about infrastructure, like sort of critical high moat, you, you know, uh, businesses that serve some sort of broader need. And but at the same time, we say private equity, those historically or traditionally are quite different areas of investment and different return profiles. How do you mix private equity and infrastructure? Yeah, so it's a very good question. I think the key is really in uh, value creation. It's not because you invest in uh, infrastructure that you're not a uh, an active asset manager and that you're not going to uh, create value. And so our goal is to invest in businesses, to your point, that are essential services to communities, et cetera, but to also uh, create a lot of value by improving, growing, transforming the businesses that we that we invest in. And this is really where the private equity angle in infrastructure um, uh, comes in. Uh, so a big part of the growth and the value creation is enabled by fall-on capital that we um, that we dedicate to, that we make available to our portfolio companies in a way that's always very disciplined and, and, and accretive to, uh, to our returns. Because we do complex deals, we tend to focus from really day one on, uh, on, on, on value creation. That's a big part of our, of our thesis. Got it. One other side question. What, what's the view behind you there? It's, it's beautiful. Where, where, oh, where are we you. looking well, that's, at? Yeah, that's the view <laughs> from, from our New York office. So uh, it's Brian Park right behind me and, uh, and you can see the uh, Empire State Empire State Building also uh, right there, but I think the light is pretty strong today, so I'm not sure how well you can see that. But yeah, uh, around 42nd Street, Midtown. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's a beautiful view. Uh, I wanted to point out it was not a fake backdrop, right? It's, it's it is not. Yeah, actually, it's one of our meeting rooms. Yeah. So you've used the term value a number of times, but I think different people have very different views of what that means. Value is one of those terms that's sort of thrown around in our society as a whole. People talk about family values. People talk about, you know, Christian values. People talk about creating value. And it means very different things in all those contexts. So what does what does Anton, what does Anton mean when it, you talk about creating value? 
Sure. So, um, well, we have a very bespoke approach to uh, to value creation. So it can mean uh, a lot of different things uh, depending on uh, depending on the portfolio company that we're looking to create value for. What all these have in common is that we think about value in a in a non-religious way to your to to part of your question. Uh, but we um, but we think about value in a couple of different ways. I think generally, all our businesses have in common that they need to go through uh, the upgrades in uh, corporate infrastructure that all scale up stories need. And as I mentioned earlier, we do invest in growth stories, so there's always that in common, and and we have a team that helps with that. Um, we always, uh, so we think that value is really driven driven by people, uh, both uh, in our portfolio companies and at the Anton level. And so within our portfolio companies, we back management teams that we find exceptional, that we find the best in the market in that specific sector. And then we focus on recruiting additional, uh, you know, senior people, top talents to further strengthen the team. So people is really a, a key, key driver of uh, value creation. We help implement value um, enhancing strategic initiatives, both organic through M&A, uh, uh, the, the best we can. We upgrade reporting, tracking, et cetera. We focus a lot on driving valuable uh, customer relationships within our portfolio company. So all that is sort of a toolkit that we can pick from depending on the situation to help uh, to help build our returns and, and to help drive growth in a, in a, in a value creative way. I think one, uh, one key uh, area currently within our portfolio companies is um, is data. Uh, we're and building a data roadmap has become a critical topic, and maybe I'll spend a minute on that because it's it's a little bit more recent yeah, than I, some of the more traditional uh, ways of to create value. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I'm not nor I don't I'm not used to hearing uh, private equity or or infrastructure sort of talk about data as a critical part of value. So so how does how does that drive value from, from y'all's perspective? Yeah, sure. So I think it's become really critical to build a data roadmap within portfolio companies. The uh, the inclusion of more data can help improve top line, uh, improve efficiency, improve accuracy. Uh, but to your point, because it's a little bit newer, I think there are some key pitfalls to to avoid when uh, when you build a data roadmap. So Firstly, I think it's a mis misconception that building a data roadmap will be disruptive to management. I think you can do a lot of proofs of concepts uh, on a more ad hoc basis that can then be integrated into existing processes once it's fully vetted. Secondly, I think building your data roadmap is not solely a systems project. A lot of uh, uh, a lot of a lot of issues come from when you don't have enough strategic or business-oriented focus on a, a data roadmap project, and you think it's really just a systems uh, project. And also, I think the last key pitfall that we've seen is um, thinking that there is no available data, that you don't have enough to work with, and that therefore it's not worth doing this. I think there's always more than you would initially perceive, and in particular with uh, external data. So I think when executed well, uh, incorporating data science into any uh, business can really help quantify uh, the value creation, drive the value creation, dive dip deeper, for example, into the inner workings of the market, make more unbiased, um, uh, take more unbiased views than what you would do with more you know, traditional expert discussions, et cetera. 
help manage the business more dynamically, automate a lot of processes. So it's a journey, but it's really worth it. And it's something that, um, to your point, is uh, gaining momentum. And I think for very good reason. And I think we should not think it's just a buzzword. We should really, uh, you know, go with that flow and 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 yeah. uh, and, uh, and and give it the right uh, level of uh, strategic attention. One of the one of the guys that gave me an opportunity when I came out of the military and really start, started me in solar used to always say, "In God we trust. All others bring data." <laughs> well, I agree with that one. <laughs> and if he's listening to this, he knows who he is. <laughs> well, so you know understanding how you guys look at value what is the value you see and what is the focus in the u.s market for anton you guys are originally out of france you have a beautiful new york skyline behind you you're you're right here in new york city the center finance for the united states and looking at the u.s as a market as a whole the question is why Sure. So we opened the uh, this New York office about five years ago, and we're now deploying about 40 percent or up to 40 percent of our capital in uh, in North America through uh, through our three uh, funds. So uh, our flagship funds, um, our middle market funds and uh, and our next gen fund, which is focused on more uh, an earlier stage or infrastructure in the making more than proven infrastructure. Uh, so, I mean, I'm saying this because it shows that there's uh, that we're big believers in the opportunity for uh, for us in the U.S. and for and 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 for the growth that the U.S. market offers within uh, within the infrastructure space. So we continue to see a lot of expansion uh, for us here. In terms of sector, we're I mean it's really the same um, as what I mentioned earlier. So committing to investing behind long-term trends, environment, sustainability, uh, aging demographics, and uh, and so I think that will. Um, that can uh, lead to a, a pretty broad array of things that we could do in the U.S. and uh, and I think the uh, the variety of uh, of investments that we've done is a good uh, example of uh, of you know where we could go next. Uh, we uh, we have um, uh, two fiber companies in the U.S. One is focused on fiber to the home, and the other is focused on uh, selling to carriers and enterprise customers. I think I may- mentioned our rail business. Or just obviously, we'll have a large district energy platform uh, in the U.S. So uh, having those great platforms um, that are irreplicable and uh, and and scaling them up and making them also uh, greener. For so, for example, within district energy, a big topic is electrification rather than using uh, natural gas uh, uh, powered uh, uh, plants to 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 uh, to uh, to generate steam. Is, uh, is is core to our equity story. So uh, I think that is really the driver of our um, uh, of our investment philosophy, and we see a tremendous opportunity in in all of our markets and and in many different U.S. geographies to do that. I think one of the um, uh, benefits of the U.S. is just uh, how quickly you can gain scale. Uh, it's a less uh, it's often a less fragmented market to go and address than uh, all the different European countries. So, uh, so, um, so, so as we grow, as our funds become larger, uh, it's actually a great market to be in to 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 deploy significant capital. That makes sense. I mean, it's. It, I have so many questions. You know, I, I mean, I I want to pepper you with questions about the the rail business and about and about the uh, fiber business and sort of what you know how you view things. I, I really wonder about sort of when you guys are looking at emerging tech where you are, but we don't have enough time to do everything. So let's focus it down a little bit on 
the point of power players, which is talking a little bit about renewables and solar in particular. You know, solar is still a maturing industry. You know, it it uh, it's no secret uh, that there's a lot of ups and downs, but y'all engaging uh, tells me that you see a long-term story here. So why why is Anton, you know, hopping onto the solar coaster here in the United States? What's the, you know, despite the ups and downs, what do you see here as the long-term, uh, you know, direction and, and promise in this industry? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we see... We see solar as uh, a, a huge part of the solution uh, for, uh, for for the for, for the green transition, and um, uh, it will be it's kind of the base solution. And there will be a lot of innovation that will come on top of this, and that will be part of the equity story of solar platforms tomorrow. So we're, what we're seeing, for example, with Origins is while Origins the primary equity story is really around building out solar co-located storage. Yep. Or, increasing our, our our footprint in terms of uh standalone storage as well where um we have agreed to invest significantly in um in in a hydrogen story for for um for origins and we're uh big believers in the fact that origins will become one of the key players in hydrogen production tomorrow and that is really better leveraging our very significant solar base i think also Having scale uh, in solar uh, has uh, uh, been increasingly uh, beneficial because uh, the capital investments required to run a development business have are have nothing to do today with what they were just a couple of years ago. You need a lot of uh, equity availability uh, to uh, secure PPAs, to uh, secure equipment well ahead of when you would secure equipment uh, in the uh, in the past. So uh, when we think about our purpose, our mission. Uh, uh, which is to um, enable the green transition through uh, uh, through capital. We think that solar is really uh, the way to go, and we won't stop there. I think we're we're uh, or just will continue to uh, diversify its uh, its growth in in a few um, targeted adjacent markets. For example, going potentially slightly smaller scale and to uh, or going 24/7 in terms of the solutions that they offer to their customers. Uh, uh, continue to be very strong in southeastern bilateral markets, but also continue to expand uh, nationally in new markets. Uh, and um, you know, so it's so it's a lot of potential uh, where we think that uh, uh, capital providers that have uh, uh, enough uh, vision, discipline, and 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 uh, and and who are sufficiently active to uh, to to invest in that space should be very focused. Uh, Core infra players. So when I say core infra players, I mean infra players that have less of a an appetite for um, construction risk, growth, etc. Are actually, I think, not the best fitted to um, uh, to take advantage of that growth because it requires because it is a bit of a roller co coaster and yeah. it comes with uh, you know a lot of issue management and uh, and it's uh, it's a very heavy uh, type of asset management. So, uh, uh, so it doesn't come with, uh, you know, it's not a coupon clipping type of uh, infrastructure. It's mm -hmm. one where you really need to be extremely um, active and bold sometimes. Uh, and so, and that's really our DNA. So <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, 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 a no brainer for us in, in terms of where we want to invest our time and, and energy.
I can't believe, David, you're on this with me and 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 you know I run the operations side of Origin Services and you didn't say anything about investing in operations. I mean, throw me a bone, man. Come on. I was, on. Going, to, I was going to ask you where Help you where out. your vision was for services. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. I get I no, I get I'm no not, help. Best, you know what? It was intimidating. I'm not in the best place to talk about Origin Services. So uh, <laughs> so 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 Mike, tell tell us maybe a bit more about your vision for services. As they say, I get no respect. It's no, it's it's uh, it's it's great, and uh, and we're here to talk about Anton and not services. But uh, it's always funny to poke fun at myself, at least a little bit. <laughs> um, well, so you know, it, it, the it is the market is a bit of a solar coaster, right? I mean, we all talk about that internally. Who've been through this? Most of us have resumes with companies that are are here and then gone, and you know, as this consolidates, but. But we have had the most recent, you know, sort of tsunami that is affecting the industry is a little thing called the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. I'm not sure that it's named appropriately, but the context of it around solar is there was a number of things in there that affected this industry as a whole. You know, tell me a little bit from an investment perspective, what did the IRA do to the market here in the United States and North America? And what does that mean for uh, Anton? Sure. So maybe I'll start by saying that, as I alluded to earlier, we've been big believers in the energy transition well before the IRA, and we've been investing in renewables, uh, you know, for a very, very long time. I think um, opportunities in newly benefiting sectors, particularly hydrogen, RNG, microgrids, uh, are going to be of increasing interest to us because the IRA is de-risking those uh, those sectors quite a bit and creating further momentum in the. Uh, uh, and 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 hopefully paving the way to uh, you know more infrastructure-like cash flow profiles within those uh, slightly more nascent sectors. And also, as I uh, mentioned, I think you know thanks to the IRA, we've or on the back of the IRA, we have uh, invested also significant uh, um, capital into building out our um, hydrogen presence uh, through Origis. So, uh, so that's been a uh, you know a change that's clearly been enabled by uh, by, by the IRA. Uh, so, growth in adjacent areas, I think, for our existing platforms is a big uh, is a big thing. Um, I think also, well, beyond the IRA, I think the shift that we've seen recently in the renewable market is that you just just don't need to be a good developer to succeed. You also need to be uh, uh, you know very. Uh, uh, very well-rounded and have really good access to capital. And I think to your point around the IRA potentially not being uh, uh, very well named, uh, <laughs> I, you know, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of uh, uh, you know issues with costs going up and 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 logistics and panel sourcing, etc. So uh, being able to uh, have the right um, uh, access to capital and 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 the right supports. Uh, has been uh, has been paramount over the past uh, couple of months, uh, also due to the IRA. I think the IRA had also a big impact on financing, uh, positive impact on financing. We saw during the second half of uh, 2022 that while regular financing markets were largely shut for financing, renewable yeah. financing continued to be uh, to be done on competitive terms, uh, in particular with the IRA as a, as a tailwind. And I think pre-IRA though. Uh, the financing market for renewables was very strong for established project financings, but developments 
uh, financings. Uh, I mean, that market was more in its infancy. And the IRA, I think, really helped bring it out of its infancy, at least slightly, and make it a little bit more mature, uh, which has been uh, important to us uh, as uh, as investors in, uh, in, in Origins. It's really, I think it also helped lenders reposition some of their balance sheet to where they saw the energy transition going. And banks have been uh, incredibly supportive uh, since uh, since the IRA. They've been incredibly supportive of uh, of Origins, and we're able to close uh, an initial uh, developments financing deal that was actually quite innovative for its time, and upsize it to make it one of the largest development facilities for any renewable developer in the U.S. Uh, that bundles a lot of different things: letters of credit, equipment financing, yeah. etc. The this. The syndicate of banks that we've been uh, able to work with has been incredibly diverse uh, with North American banks, European banks, Asian lenders, um, very large banks are also very supportive of Origins on the tax equity side. So I think the IRA has really helped large developers gain even more momentum and and has really refocused the market on um, this energy transition. So that's been uh, that's been great. And then you know there is the uh, there is the um, uh, the mechanics and the extension of the tax credits that you know creates some uh, uh, some more work to to assess the uh, project economics etc. But I think all in all the uh, the transition would have happened even without the IRA, but at a at a slower pace and uh, and I think would not have favored uh, would not have enabled scale developers like Origins to build out an even you know larger pipeline more quickly. Yeah, it makes it makes total sense. I, you know, I have to though question a little bit. It, it sometimes seems like, you, you know, on the one hand, we've got the Infrastructure Reduction Act and and the pieces of it that apply to solar, which were clearly intended to stimulate growth of the industry, right? And then on the but the other side of it, there also is a need then for tax equity, and I think the tax equity market needs to grow from something like twenty billion to like eighty billion, and nobody's sure where that other sixty billion in tax equity is even going to come from like where is that tax appetite and how do you utilize that um in addition at the same time we've got the tariff case where you know the very thing that we need the most which is panels uh coming from china for a lot of very good reasons um have these high tariffs applied or or are kept out of the united states completely depending on the source of the silicon and and sort of the how these things were uh were, were built and by whom and and what that you know what they represent so from a from the solar coaster perspective, it feels a little bit like the government is like slamming on the brake and the gas at the same time. And there's this like sort of governmental kluge of opposing policies. How do you see that? I mean, that's tough to navigate, you know, so how do you see that playing out? Yeah, it is tough to navigate. I think once again, it's uh, those um, those issues tend to favor the uh, the larger uh, developers at the expense of the the smaller ones because yeah, you can commit to larger volumes with uh, panel manufacturers. You can have um, slightly easier, better access to uh, locally sourced panels with uh, uh, with uh, more like North American focused manufacturers. On the tax equity side, you can work with. Um, you know the larger uh, usual suspects in uh, in terms of uh, uh, getting access to uh, to their uh, to to their tax equity uh, uh, um, uh, financing. Uh, I think the 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 issue is probably a little bit more on the down market, uh, and is probably a bit um, 
uh, hopefully temporary because a lot of the measures within the IRA, like transferability, uh, like direct pay for, for, for some limited number of cases, uh, will be uh, implemented over the over the coming months and years. And, and uh, we're still expecting, as, as, as you know, some additional guidance in terms of how we're, how this will really be uh, orchestrated and, and, and what types of, uh, um, you know, what types of middle uh, agents will need to uh, to uh, uh, to be part of that uh, transferability process, what roles the banks are going to play, how are new uh, tax equity players going to emerge, at what price are those credits going to be sold. So there are lots of unknowns, but lots of solutions there too. So, uh, so, so I believe that while those you know, newer solutions might not be uh, might not change dramatically the way uh, a player like Orges has been doing business. And I think we'll probably continue to uh, rely a lot on um, uh, on our great, you know, dialogue with with the large, uh, you know, tax equity providers structured in, in in the traditional way. I think those new solutions will uh, incredibly help uh, the, uh, the the smaller scale uh, developers and and the CNI market, the DG market, uh, and and other technologies as well. So. We have inflation. We have the, you know, at a consumer level, uh, being driven by a whole lot of things: wars, dislocations, you know, uh, disruptions in the supply chain, increased uh, money being, you know, sort of flooded into the market, uh, increased demand for some goods and services, decreased supply, and at the same time, we have, you know, the Fed raising interest rates, which affects the borrowing rate, which then also affects the expected rate of return required for those investments to occur. Do you see these forces, uh, you know, slowing down or affecting, you know, working in contravention of the IRA and, and the intended growth? Or, or do you see a path to navigate that as well financially? I mean, are, are people still going to invest when when uh, the return required because of the cost of their capital has gone up, I think is the basic question. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, for sure. I think there, we're continuing to see a, a very significant uh, appetite for uh, for that market, and and also with the uh, uh, with with market uncertainty comes uh, you know certain flights to uh, uh, safety, quality, and with safe and and I think the uh, the undebatable macro tailwind behind renewables makes it a very uh, safe place to invest into. Uh, also, an incredibly um, you know high quality cash flow profile, etc. So, to your question, appetite, I think it's uh, uh, appetite is going to remain uh, uh, extremely high. Uh, cost of uh, debt financing will 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 be a factor uh, as it mechanically impacts uh, you know project economics, as you have to factor in uh, you know the revised uh, rates in the market. Um, that said, I think. From a margin standpoint, uh, renewable financing deals can continue to be done on pretty pretty competitive terms compared to to, to other sectors. So, I mean, yes, there is a, there is uncertainty in the market, but I think uh, it is something that um, you know the strong players will navigate very well. It's interesting, you know. I think the what I'm hearing from you is, you know, for the larger players that are established that have good financing partners like Anton and, you know, networks of relationships with banks and a history of deploying capital and, you know, successfully that uh, they'll be able to do this. But for the smaller companies, this is going to be a challenging time. Access to capital may be squeezed. 
is that is that the takeaway? Um, I mean, it it could be. I think the uh, access to equity, even for the smaller players, might still be uh, might still be fine. There is a, a you know there is a pretty uh, deep uh, middle markets uh, um, infrastructure sector in the U.S. that uh, that will continue to invest in, uh, in 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 less scaled players. I think it's more on the operational side uh, uh, that's you know. The struggle might come, so having uh, having access to uh, to to well-priced equipment, uh, the bargaining power, just just because of the supply and demand dynamics, is going to be easier for the larger players than for the uh, than for the smaller players. And I think also there's uh, there is a while the uh, up market is not so fragmented in renewables, there are a lot of uh, uh, smaller scale developers. A lot of entrepreneurs who started the, their business, etc. So, um, I don't think there will be space for all of these players to really uh, scale up, and uh, and there might be some uh, some more consolidation happening. Um, but uh, but that said, I think by and large, access to uh, uh, to capital will probably uh, be you know not as difficult in this sector, whatever your scale, versus uh, versus other sectors in the market. Got it. I think that's some those are some good takeaways from the folks listening. We we want to always try to leave folks with things that they can actually use, you know, out of this program. <laughs> so that's helpful. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about a more controversial topic. You know, um I see in the news today, we you know, in the corporate world we talk ESG quite a lot and and that gets connected to this idea of creating value. Uh, as well as sort of, you know, social ju- justice and a bunch of other areas. I think there's another there's another part of the conversation that looks at ESG as this sort of self-inflicted wound that the government pushes upon companies that distracts them from their core mission. How do you guys view ESG? How, how do you view this debate? And when you look at companies, what do you Within the context of ESG programs, how do you view that as part of the the value that that you deliver and your investments deliver? Yeah, and why? So sure. Uh, so I'd say we really integrate ESG throughout the investment cycle as a means both to mitigate risk and also create value. So we're definitely on that how does it side mitigate risk? That that that. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll get to that a bit a, a, a <laughs> bit more, <laughs> but I I think actually beyond uh, you know mitigating risk and I'll explain a bit more and enhancing returns, our emphasis on ESG is also driven by other factors like regulatory compliance, uh, corporate financing, fiduciary duty. So there are lots of stakeholder expectations in terms of our the investors in uh, in our funds. So there's um. Uh, so there's a lot at stake for us uh, within uh, within uh, within ESG, and to give you a very uh, concrete example around how ESG is a uh, you know is a miti- is a risk mitigant. So thinking about Origis and the, and and the uh, and the renewable space, uh, I think ESG is really a way, frankly, not to lose your license to operate in the future. And as an example of that. Uh, you know, we've had a very disciplined approach to panel sourcing, tracking where our panels came from, et cetera. And I think had we not done that, we would have been at a much higher risk of uh, seeing some of our uh, equipment sourcing 
frozen through the import bans that we uh, that that the U.S. went through uh, recently, and uh, and as a consequence of that, uh, you know, potentially um, deteriorate some of our customer relationships. And thanks to our having really good ESG practices uh, and and good tracking of where we source things, uh, we actually benefited from that situation whereby uh, we, uh, uh, we it reinforced vis-a-vis our customers our ability to execute, to deliver, uh, to de-risk uh, their investment, and that has incredible value uh, for our off-takers, for our customers. So ESG is really a way to, um, to, to mitigate risk. I think then how do we go about implementing those ESG roadmaps? And it's a pretty broad, um, I'll keep it high level because it's pretty broad, uh, uh, in the three very different words within uh, within ESG. So it's uh, yeah. it's uh, uh, it's a broad topic. But what we do is post closing, we conduct some uh, materiality assessments and uh, and we try to prioritize what are the material ESG issues for a portfolio company that we need to that we need to focus on. We try to define KPIs to really track those issues and 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 set targets. And again, KPIs need to be set uh, in a useful way. So, so it's uh, not KPIs for KPIs, but it's KPIs to be helpful and, and, and really drive the business. We create an, ash, an action plan based on, on, those, uh, on, on that assessment. And, um, and, and so as an example of that, in addition to our direct investments in decarbonization and energy independence like Origis, all of our portfolio companies, including Origis, have specific decarbonization goals uh, for uh, for themselves. So at the end of the day, ESG is a best practice, uh, uh, an ethical way of conducting business, and also uh, a, a big risk mitigant in terms of your ability to to operate, to attract talents. Uh, it's it, it, it's um, you know for example as we 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 you know some of our counterparts in some of our businesses as for example uh, universities and it's uh, it's it's pretty awesome to see how. Uh, students who uh, enroll in universities have among their selection criteria uh, ranking really, really high the sustainability goals of their campuses, meaning uh, access to you know, cleaner, uh, cleaner power, cleaner heating, uh, uh, proper wastewater treatments, uh, um, sustainable food sourcing. So, um, so I think at all levels and, and, and even more so within the newer generation, uh, ESG is uh, absolutely critical. Yeah, it is interesting. We do see, you know, employees, particularly the the, the younger generation of employees, they really, you know, the the values that they that they are going to take part in day to day as part of their job matter to them, right? Yeah. Um, it's and I can I can agree with that. I mean, I'm I'm here in solar because out of a desire to continue to serve in in some way and. And I think uh, what I hear is Anton and and David Vence are also engaged in renewables as, as in part because of that, because of a values based view on on where to put money. And I think people can appreciate that, and and we need more of that in the industry. So, you, you know, I think from here, I think the question is is what's next for Anton? Like, what what are the next things you're looking for? What do you see on the horizon in the industry and for and for your investments as a whole. Sure, I mean it's uh, what's next is I think really to continue to uh, be an enabler of the green transition uh, and and doing our part by investing capital in that in that transition. We think the pressure coming from 
climate change consequences are going to uh, is going to to increase and to only go one way. And um, and I think there's a, a very broad array of areas that will need further support in order to operate that transition uh, seamlessly. And uh, and and for example, there will be there are changing requirements on transfer transmission for storage. Um, there's a big opportunity for innovation that we're just starting to see and innovation can be the application of new technologies to existing assets like the focus that some uh, oil and gas companies have been having on uh, carbon capture uh, or it can be uh, just next generation ways of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of doing certain things like uh, beneficial reuse of waste, etc. So what's next is to uh, continue to focus on, on the right things, be disciplined, uh, and and these are long-term investments. So uh, to your question on you know the the longer term, I think this is uh, what we're doing now is really shaping what the world should look like in 30 years from now. Yeah. Well, so out of all we've talked about today, we're we're coming up close to the end of this segment. Final thoughts. What do you want to leave folks with out of this? Sure. So, well, I'd say a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of what we've been, you know, talking about today are not necessarily themes that sound new. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, but I think what I want people to to leave people with is the idea that it's not because we talk a lot about things that things are getting done. And I think continuing to uh, focus on the right things, uh, continuing to um, translate what sometimes seems to be, uh, you know, nice words on a blank sheet of paper into uh you know into actions into uh making capital available for the for the right purpose uh is uh critical if we want to actually enact change and not just you know write what the change should be so i guess that's what uh, i'd like to uh, leave people with and we you know strive to uh, uh to um well we try to do our best to uh, uh to be part of uh, of uh, of a better future and so um uh and so, well, tomorrow will tell us if uh, we were right, but hopefully, hopefully we are. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. I think, uh, but you know, I think most people appreciate, uh, you know, companies, investment, uh, infrastructure, private equity that's really looking to put capital at risk to try to make the future that we're all hoping for. And Anton is 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 here in the United States uh, doing great things. And I really appreciate your time today. You guys are power investors and, and you are definitely a power player. And, and thank you. Thanks very much, Michael. Find summary thoughts on this topic and more insights into operating your clean energy assets at OrgisServices.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise.